Hello, and welcome to Rise Up with Orion. My name is Jenny Gray. I'm the clinical manage, clinical training manager here at Orion, and we've got Darren Elkins with us today. Just as a reminder, um, everybody in attendance will receive their points for attending, their health promotion points. Um, and this is also able, uh, you're going to be able to review this in the uh, in the future, if you want to revisit and listen to this again and again and keep learning. And I am new to this. I apologize. And I am trying to find the record button. <laughs> um, so bear with you one quick moment. It actually is being recorded. Oh, is it being? Okay. Well, there Why we go. You got it. It says on my screen, this session is being recorded. I think you Okay, perfect. Thank you so much, Darren. <laughs> that was my number one fear of being of doing this and then not having uh not having this available for everybody else to to see. So, thank you. So, everyone just introducing Darren really quick. He is the clinical operations director at Blomquist Hale Solutions. He has received his master's degree in family and therapy uh, and marriage family and therapy from Utah State University. He also holds two bachelor's degrees from the University of Utah in psychology and family and human development. He has served on various boards, including the Utah chapter of the American Association for Marriage and Family Therapy. Darren has a wide range of experience and training, including couples and family issue, solution focused therapy, drug and alcohol assessment, neurofeedback, managing stress and anxiety, and he has worked closely with organizations to support their unique challenges, including crisis response, employee issues, and leadership training. So we are so thrilled to have you. I cannot imagine someone with more experience and insight to talk about what we are going to talk about today. Well, thank you so much. You felt that up way too much, though. I can imagine a lot of people who could probably... <laughs> But thank you so much, and I'm glad to be here. I'm excited to talk about this topic with you and everybody. Absolutely. Well, we're so happy, and this is a topic that is on everyone's mind as we are approaching the end of the year, the holiday seasons. Communication, relationships, boundaries are all really prevalent and on people's minds. Yeah. Um, so just to get things going, from your experience, where does communication rank in its importance in building meaningful relationships? That's a good question. Um, well, I think communication is for a long time has been kind of the big buzzword, right? When you think of relationships, I think we all think of our our challenges with uh, communication. Like everyone says, it's always about communication. And, and to be frank, I think we'd have to be honest and say sometimes we probably overrank it. That's not a good way to start a, a, a seminar topic, is it? Say, oh, this topic is overrated. <laughs> I certainly don't want to say that. That was a redundant question and just thinking, oh, of course, it's communication. It's number it's one. The in biggest everything. one there is, yeah. But maybe, but I would say there are other factors that are really critical. But in the end, don't we determine a lot of our happiness and success by the communication. So whether or not it's the reason for our challenges is certainly the thing that we look at to, to tell us how good are we doing. Um, people are different. Sometimes you ask people, um, 
and I don't want to overgeneralize this, but sometimes I find out this from men when I say, how, what's the strength of your relationship? And they'll say, well, we haven't fought in a while, so it's good. <laughs> whereas, it, whereas sometimes females, and again, this doesn't always break down along those lines, but we'll say it's not good. Even though we haven't fought, we haven't communicated. We haven't talked through things. So everyone's built a little bit different in, in how they look at this. But certainly at the end of the day, communication is how we get things done, right? It's how we connect. And if the communication is poor, whether it's just daily communication, just kind of routine, how we do things, or if it's more like conflict management, either way, it really does. It, it really does make it, it decides for us, are we happy or are we not in a relationship? It's really important. It sounds like it's really one of those foundational elements that if you don't have strong communication, everything that needs to be built on top of it is on shaky ground. Absolutely. That's a good way to look at it. Yeah. Absolutely. So with communication being so important and you were talking about various places and aspects where communication plays an important role, why does it go wrong so often? What what are the pitfalls of communication that people often fall into? That's a good question. Let's back up a step because we often miss that what happens before the communication sets the tone. In one massive study that done by the Gottman Institute, and they're really good at studying communication. They have a lot of a lot of um, research they've done to, to help us understand it. One of the things they found was that that one of the greatest predictors of a positive outcome between two people, because this a lot of their works on married couples, but this I think really applies to all communication relationships, is that all these other factors of their skill level, their education. Look at so many different things. They found that the single greatest predictor of a positive outcome with the communication is the attribution of goodwill going into the conversation. That sounds like a maybe kind of a no-brainer, but really, actually, that's really critical when you think about when when communication has been soured, when you're not getting along with somebody, what is the first thing we do? We cut out the stuff we don't need to do. When, when, if I had a strained relationship with somebody, we start to cut out the communication and the interactions that are the easier ones because I just don't want to be around you, <laughs> right? So the good kind of things, the going out to dinner and spending time, if it's work-related, the, the, the water cooler moments, those things kind of go by the wayside. And we say, I'm only going to talk to you when I have to. Well, you know, mm -hmm. when I have to usually means problems. <laughs> things that need to get addressed. Right. So think about it. And, and how could any relationship do well if the only time you talk is when you're having problems? So I would say one of the first things we want to look at when we look at our communication and, and the predictors of positive success is that we don't forget to do the easy stuff, the things mm -hmm. that, are, that create connection and meaning between you, that remind you that this is another person that you like, that you have things in common with, that they can be easy. There can be easy things. Don't give up on those things. Don't let those go away when the rest of the communication is challenged. I love that. So really focusing on on the the smaller things. And you mentioned going into communication with this attitude of goodwill. When you said that for me, I interpreted that as going in with mutual respect. For yeah. another person, is there more to that goodwill um, nope. that that you're, you're thinking of? 
No, no, I think that's where it comes from, right? But if it's genuine, it has to come from more than just a dis- – I think it, it can be a decision to show respect. Like that's part of it is just to say I in general have respect for other people and treat them kindly. That's part of it. But to have genuine, actual positive filters for someone, mm-hmm. I think we're talking about having the kind of experiences that give you the benefit of the doubt for that person. That when you do have mistakes and slip-ups and things don't go perfectly, we tend to say in our mind – well, you're, you're not a bad person. You just, you're not perfect, but that's okay. And, and I'm going to kind of give you the benefit of the doubt and put a positive spin on what you're saying instead of negatively interpreting everything. But I think what you're referring to is really important, regardless of whether that's there or not, whether you've had those good experiences. I think we can choose to just be respectful, right? If we're our best self, like we can go into a conversation saying, regardless of whether I think you've earned it or not, <laughs> I think I can treat you with respect because it's important to me. Well, and it sounds like maybe respect is the minimum and for even higher level or more positive communication, adding that element of, of goodwill. And mm-hmm. as you were describing that, um, of, of remembering the good things, of believing the best in people, what occurred to me is that often it is the people that we have the most important relationships with mm-hmm. that is the hardest to go into those those dialogues and enter that communication effectively and with that goodwill that you're speaking about why is that why is it so hard with the people that it should be the easiest theoretically to have that goodwill yeah that's a great question because it seems backwards doesn't it it seems like those should be the ones that we do our best in the ones the most important things are the things you, you should do your best in because the importance of my relationship with the with the person at the at the restaurant or whatever isn't high. It's not it's not something that's at the end of the day matters a whole lot. If we have a little bit of a tough interaction, well, we'll be going our way. But the, the human nature is that a crucial conversation has three components. Okay, we learned this from the book Crucial Conversations, but I think they have three components. One is the stakes are high, right? That makes a crucial conversation. The opinions may vary. And then the third, what you're referring to is the emotions can be strong. The more you care about somebody, the more you care about a situation and relationship, the more emotion you have in it. And that's a good thing sometimes, right? We have better – the good news is when it goes well, the payoff is greater, right? In your close relationships I, – I mean, in your non-close relationships, if I have a great interaction, even if it went really well, the payoff is low because I don't have a connection to that person. But if I can have a, a strong relationship with somebody and I risk, I'm vulnerable, I put myself out there, I let you see something I'm thinking and feeling, you in turn empathize or feel it and kind of sit with me in it, and I feel you, that, that you really respected it, then the payoff is wonderful. Like I feel like we really connect. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the positive side of that. But if it doesn't go well, we're more vulnerable and the pain could be greater, right? The discomfort is higher because there's more at stake. So that's the tricky thing. With emotion, though, our ability to manage goes down, right? We all know this, that your emotions turn off sometimes when they're really high. They turn off some of your best thinking, right, when you're flooded. I I use that term flooded. When I'm flooded, I tend to go to my animal brain, and I have less of my, my cognitive abilities. So I get flooded. And next thing you know, I'm not at my best. I'm not using my best skills because I'm over, overwhelmed with emotion. I, I think that's so interesting. And, and 
that makes so much sense of when you're going into those really high stakes conversations. I'm curious when you're entering this conversation and you've, you've maybe got these pieces, you know, you've got your goodwill, you've got your mutual respect, you're entering this crucial conversation when you're armed, I guess, with all of these effective communication tools and you enter a, a dialogue where you are not met with goodwill mm-hmm. or respect. Can you describe that? Because that that's very difficult and that makes people, even if you're armed with all of these strong communication yeah. tools, it can be defensive and make you retreat. So how do you approach that when maybe you're working on your own communication, but the person that you're trying to enter a dialogue is not and comes off a little attacking or not respectful? That's a great question because we're not talking about, we'd like to believe that if I just do all the right things, I get to predict and create an outcome. That There's things in life that you can do that with, first for the most part, right? You might have a hobby where for the most part, if you follow the, the rules, if you if you love to cook, and if you follow the rules, you can always predict a positive outcome. Something might happen out of your control, the other might break. <laughs> but but most of the time, you can predict the outcome. Humans just don't work that way, do they? You could give your very best. You could come in with a very non-threatening, very vulnerable and caring approach and still get somebody's defenses. Now, the likelihood is lower. That's the good news, right? If you come in at from a vulnerable place. Think about a scenario. For example, you're walking down the street and you see somebody, maybe a, what looks like a parent, uh, hovering under a tree and their child is up in the tree and they're playing in the tree. And you're, you're, you're reacting because you're thinking this child is above concrete and it looks dangerous, right? Mm-hmm. The branch isn't very stable and they're kind of swaying. And you're watching this parent talking to somebody not paying attention. Now, I could get pretty upset about that, right? It might get, like, be worried. My primary emotion is concern, right? My primary emotion is worry and concern and fear for this child. That's fear. But if I let that fear instead turn into anger, and I promise I'm going to come back to your question. I feel like I'm taking a detour here. (laughs) (laughs) But I I let that that fear turn into anger, then – and I respond out of that anger. Like, what kind of parent are you? What are you doing? Like, get your child a treat. What am I going to get back? How are they going to respond? With, with they're going to match your energy, right? They're going yes. to be equal. They're going to be defensive. They're going to be yep. angry back. Yep. Most likely, they're going to give me their secondary emotion. They're going to skip right to their anger, and that's how we interact with another. Now, to come back to your question, if I come at it with my primary emotion, which is concern and fear, like, oh, I'm I'm really worried. This this branch looks really unsafe. Uh, can I help you? It looks like we might need to address their safety. Now, they have a choice to make, right? I've given them more of a primary emotional thing. I've, I haven't come at them with my anger. I think I'm more likely to get them to be, oh, my gosh, you're right. Like, I'm sorry, and I wasn't paying attention. I'm more likely to get their primary emotion. But that's not guaranteed. They, they might interpret me, even though I gave them a primary emotional response, as being attacking but that I'm that I'm really right. judging them and that they're a bad parent. And so they may just come at it with their defensiveness. Just come back to what you said. There's no guarantee. So then what we do is is we, we make sure that first I have I, I first I've self soothed. I am in a place where I'm managing my own emotion. Like we call it soothing, right? We call that mm-hmm. soothing when you're a baby and it's an adult skill too. The ability to soothe and manage your emotional state. 
what are the things you do to, to soothe? Breathe, the way you talk to yourself, the way you yeah. kind of manage your emotional distress. That's a key skill that we sometimes don't pay attention to in life. It's just the ability to self-soothe. And then secondly, to self-confront, right? To say, I'm looking at my own stuff and seeing how I'm reacting. And if I've done both of those really effectively and you're in a defensive place, then I'm in a place to kind of just let you own that and kind of share my boundaries. That's where boundaries start to kick in, right? I start okay. to say, all right, so I, I can see maybe you're not in a place that I want us to be in. Tell me why you're feeling defensive. You know, I, it, I'm, I'm getting defensiveness from you. Did I – tell me how I'm coming – maybe I'm – maybe I didn't come across the way I intended. You know, you could try to clarify that. Mm-hmm. Um, in relationships that are really in trouble, you can use tools like the like the speaker listener technique. Like you have a troubled history, it's really been hard. You can use things like you grab a pen and I speak, you restate what I said, and then I give you the pen. You speak and then I restate. Those skills help us to learn to to undo the ways that we always think. You know, like I say something, you repeat it back to me, and I hear you say. I'm like, that's not exactly what I was trying to say. Let me say it again. Until we get it right. Sometimes we need those. When you're, when things aren't going well, we get official, right? Like in life, if I'm, if I'm struggling with a skill, I might need to get some specific training about that skill. I can't just rely on my, my training. So we might have mm-hmm. to get some skills based, like, what does it mean to listen? How do you actually listen? How do you ref- make sure you're, you're speaking in a way that's respectful and getting dive into those skills. But at some point they, you may just have to create a boundary and, and say, you know, this isn't a good time to talk. I, I'm not getting, we don't feel like we're in a place that we're managing this very well. We might need to take a break and come back and talk about it later. I love that. So really it sounds like filling your own toolbox to increase your own ability to communicate as much as possible and recognizing that you can control your response and nobody else's. So when you come with this goodwill, with this respect, with all of these positive communication tools, and you're met with defensiveness or anger or uh, resentment, whatever negative emotion, it sounds like that's a great place where you can acknowledge that you've done what you can. You put that boundary and say, we can come back to this when it's a time that's going to be more productive. And that's not going to be right now. And that's, that's valid. And that's, that's a great place to be. Yeah. I I think so. I think in every relationship, every person needs the key skill of knowing when to call a time and when to call a timeout. I mean, I do this for a living, but there are just times I'm not in a good place to talk. Maybe for maybe I recognize that before we even get into the conversation and I address Mm -hmm. that. And so I might have to learn the skill of saying, I need to get to back to a place where I can be my better self. And in order to do that, I'm going to need to go take some breaths and t- manage myself. And then I can come back to this conversation. That skill alone can really be the difference. Because when you think about it, the damage is hard to overcome. Can I give you an example? Like, Please. Let's say, let's say when we, we, we walk into the room together, okay, and you and I are in a meeting. And I come in and I say, you know, you just – I got to tell you, you – you have such a bright, cheery attitude. I love your your the way you just um, have such a positive outlook. I love the way you're, the, you've got the most creative ideas. You're really funny. You smell awful. And you, 
and you really you're really fast on the on, on coming up with ideas you know I, I came up with five things okay you I'm sure you smell fine by the way that's a safe example because we're in zoom right. so I, we're, we're virtual <laughs> so it's okay I felt really safe <laughs> right but what are you thinking about the rest of the day I, I said four nice things really nice things and then one mm-hmm. thing that but what are you thinking about the rest of the day it's that would consume me I, I would yeah. I would only be thinking about that negative thing yeah. So we have the map that works against us. That's why it's important that we live by the, the physician's creed, which is above all, do no harm, because it's easier to do damage than good in relationships. That's unfortunate. It's easier to knock houses down. takes a lot less time than to build them up. Right. And that's true of relationships. It's easier to do damage than good. So above all, we want to avoid the harm. Right. It, if there's significant harm, that, that was a very unkind thing I said. But there are mm-hmm. things that are much worse than that. And if you Absolutely. do real harm then it takes a lot to overcome that. So above all else, that ability to know when I'm about to do harm and I need to step away from that is a life skill that, that is critical. And if, if you, if anybody listening is struggling with that one, that's, that's where you start because who wants to spend their whole life recovering from those mistakes, right? All the work it takes to overcome one thing that was done that was so damaging. So that that ability to know when I am not going to be in a good place and I'm going to do harm is a key skill. Learning yourself and finding out from other people. Maybe they know you better than you. And But whatever ways you do it, find out who, when your limits, where your limits are and how you know that before the damage. If if the way you know is you've already started to do those things, that's not that's not early enough. Find out what that looks like before it happens. Absolutely. So, and, and I feel like maybe I, I jumped too far in ahead because we, we hear this term about boundaries a lot. I feel like it's all over social me- media. You find articles about it. Um, when we're talking about establishing boundaries, what does that really mean? Because especially as we're going into the holidays and a lot of people don't always have the best communication or relationships yeah. with their families that they're maybe spending with it. What does it mean to establish a healthy boundary? Thank you. That's a good question. And I'm going to give you an answer that you might not hear from a lot of counselors. It might surprise you. But my fear sometimes is that we use boundaries as an excuse not to connect with people. So I'm not saying boundaries are bad. They can be good. But sometimes, sometimes we use that term as a way to avoid the scary business of connection, right? So if we define boundaries as anytime I feel fear that I put up a wall, then you'll never have a connection with anybody because you can't have meaningful relationships without an element of of risk. So there's the vulnerability as the counterpart to to boundaries, right? We have to be willing to be vulnerable to a degree that allows us to live in this world and take the kind of risk that says I need to connect. It's important Mm -hmm. to me to connect. Get anything done to be happy. I need to connect. So we balance that with then the appropriate level of saying, but there's a limit to that, right? I can't just keep putting myself out there and doing right. things that when I'm all I'm getting is like harm. Like mm-hmm. so there has to be a, a way of saying, um, and that's a, that's a, that's, there's no clear cut answer. Like what is it? When do you do a boundary? Right. right. We just have to be, that self-awareness becomes important. When, when do I feel like, the risk reward just doesn't paying off. I, I put myself out there and all I'm getting back is, is harm. And so 
And, and sometimes it needs to be more preventative than that. So some examples of good boundaries are just knowing yourself and knowing when when is even a good time. So, for example, around this time of year, one effective thing with boundaries is how often am I gathering with people? Am I going to every function that is there? So it's 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 finding balance between all the things in your life, both the, the people you want to care for and also your own self-care. Mm-hmm. And it's it's no more complicated than that. It's not easy to do, but it's really just about about taking a hard look at things and saying, you know, is this going to, at the end of the day, going to really help me connect and have better situations and help me feel like I'm I'm doing well myself? Or is this going to pull me away from myself and other people? And then if it's that, then we say that boundary is okay. Saying no, saying not right now, saying to yourself, and, and I, I'll put it this way too. There's some people you're just never going to convince to be selfish, to take care of themselves. So right. I don't put it that way. Right? You don't say you need to take care of you because they're just like, that's a violation of who I am. So right. I just reframe it, right? You know the term reframe. It just means we look at it a little differently. And that, and that is to say, in order for me to do what's important to me, which is to be there for other people and help them, I need to make sure that the machine, me, is well-oiled and okay. So I'm not going to do this in a selfish way, but I'm going to take care of my needs so that so that I can be better for other people. See, that's not a violation. of. It still allows me to think of myself as somebody who puts right. other people first and cares about them, but it recognizes that in order to do that, you have to sometimes take care of yourself in order to do that. If you're wearing yourself out, you're good to no one, right? I love that. And it sounds like that really relates to what you were talking about mm-hmm. earlier and that in just knowing yourself and understanding your core values. And the example that you just gave of my core values being able to be there for other people, well, you can't draw water from an empty well. I have to, in order to be mm-hmm. there for other people, which is a core value of mine, I do have to take care of myself. So I, I love, it sounds like a key component is just knowing who you are and yeah. maybe even experimenting with that a little bit so you understand what your limits are so you can create those boundaries in a way that's going to be helpful for you and the people that you're trying to communicate with. That's a great way to put it. I like your analogy of the well, you know, because the well is something that has two parts. There's the draw from and the put in, Right. You're right. talking about drawing water from – what are the things we do to put water in the well? What's the kind of stuff that puts it in there? And then what are the ways that it's removed in a healthy way? Like sometimes giving you my bucket, it feels good. It feels good to spend my well on people. It's how I connect. But sometimes there are leaks, right? And the leaks are just not effective. No one's getting the water. It's just getting wasted. It's just wasted. Right. And things like – undo anxiety worrying about something that's not even here yet what i can't i'll never say it as well as someone else said but they said something about fear anxiety is just really about um punishing ourselves for future failures that haven't even happened yet right and it's I feel just very always, by this. <laughs> <laughs> right it's just i'm gonna go ahead and do it now <laughs> i know i'm gonna fail i might as well start punishing myself now right and so that those are the leaks that we want to get rid of, the kind of things that cause – that doesn't go to anything. That's wasted water. That's not used for anything positive. So how we can, how we talk to ourselves, how we manage the preventing the leaks, that's that's where we get into, like, what's, what's amiss in our life that's causing us that? What kind of anxiety and fears and challenges are we facing that are the leaks and addressing those so that 
that we don't have to keep dumping at such a rate, you know, that, that you can't even keep it full because of the leaks. And then you don't have anything to give because it's just leaking out the bottom. So I love that. So in the spirit of that, because we've talked about, as we've talked about communication and boundaries, we've talked about increasing your own ability to communicate and stocking your toolbox full of these communication tools. From your own experience, what are some of the easiest tools for people to use or some of the tools that you recommend most frequently that anyone listening to this can uh can start taking on themselves, can start learning and implementing right away? Good good question. I, I would start by saying tools can become weapons if they're not used out of authentic sincerity, right? They become manipulative. So just, just pulling a tool out is kind of something you don't authentically connect to. A good example of that is a very common thing we probably all heard, which is the I statements, right? Mm-hmm. If you don't understand the spirit of the I statement, you, you might be saying I statements, but clearly conveying something very different. Like I said, I statement, I was taking responsibility and yeah, with the tone and everything else certainly sounded right. a lot like you're still on, you're still making this about me. So, so some of those tools. So first you check in with your, the, the, the carpenter before you work with the tools, right? How, what kind of place is the carpenter in? Like, what kind of state of mind am I in? Am I in a real authentic place for, and here's the litmus test, okay? I'm going to give away what I think the litmus test is for all relationships, whether it's a, a, a customer or your spouse and anything in between is that I'm asking myself, am I looking out for you? Am I looking out for this person? That's my test. Because as soon as I can, cannot answer yes, then I know I'm in a, a place of preservation and I'm not in a place of connecting and trying to resolve. I'm just trying to look out for myself. So I'm always asking myself. And if the answer is no, that's when we get into what can I do to correct that or do I need to take a timeout, right? Mm-hmm. There's some quick ways to correct that and or what kind of timeout do I need to take? Um, the skill that we all know, if I were to run a poll on here and we ask people, What's the most important communication skill? What do you think people would say? I'd say listening. Yeah, I think you're right. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know I was going to be tested, but (laughs) yeah, I think you're right. I think they would say listening. And that's probably the skill that's the least uh, maybe appreciated. And you don't, we don't know it, but it's by the skill we're the worst at when we look at it, right? And so right. that's the skill, listening and active listening, listening to understand, asking questions to clarify. Uh, if anybody wants something more concrete than that, that brings together the, the talk, the listening and the talking, I'll refer back to what I said earlier with the speaker listener technique. Okay. This is can be a coordinated tool to help people make sure that they're having a better conversation today. And I drove into work. It was took a lot like more time. There was snow was intense. It was beautiful mm-hmm. outside, but. It was very, very slippery. I saw probably 10 cars slid off the side of the road or run into each other. Oh well, what God. did they tell you? Yeah, it was, it was crazy. But what do they tell you to do whenever the weather's bad, when you're driving? What's the first thing that police always say to do? Slow go down, slow. right? Go slow. Go slow. And that's true of communication. Let's slow it down because the speed is where we get into trouble. So how do we slow it down? Well, one way to do that is to follow the speaker-listener technique, and that is to when it's my turn as a speaker, I share my thought, and I have rules I live by. One is to not mind read and tell you what you're thinking. That's what mm-hmm. the I statement. 
I tell you about what my thoughts are, my perceptions, and I share it in a non-threatening way to not overwhelm you with my stuff. Share it in a way that I own and keep it brief and pause and give you opportunities to do your job as the listener, which is this is where it gets a little bit canned and weird and people abandon it because it feels too cheesy. And that is to then reframe what you hear. To say, so you're telling me that when you drove in this morning, you were feeling kind of a little anxious about that. You saw some wrecks and it made you kind of concerned. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. But you'd be surprised how often you think you're going to reframe it and you know exactly what they just said. And you'll hear them say, no, that's not, you're missing the point. <laughs> that is not what I'm trying to say. And then we can correct. How many, how many of our just communication problems Start with just a misunderstanding in the very beginning. We just right. didn't, yeah, that just got off to a bad start. And it becomes like a comedy of errors, you know, right. like it's this whole uh, misunderstanding that we just build it on, build upon. So I would say really that skill of listening and then not moving on until you've heard it correctly. And then you can share the floor where you give the other person a chance to be the speaker and they share. And then when you get really good at it, you take a step deeper and that is to show empathy. Right. Not just listen and understand. Yeah, you were concerned. You told me you were concerned about driving in this morning. It made you feel a little bit nervous. But start to, when you get into empathy, it's like, yeah, that feeling, that's that's kind of scary, isn't it? Like you really start to get into the emotional aspect. And right. I, I've I felt I'm not sure I know what you felt, but I've felt those things before. You know, I've been in that position and sometimes you, you get that, oh, this is am I gonna be all right moment. Is that how you felt? And you really try to understand so it's feelings, and now you're really getting somewhere because you're connecting around their their emotions, not just the words that are being used. Absolutely. I love it. two things that really stood out to me from what you just described of when you're in the situation where you're reflecting back what the other person has shared with you, and they say, no, that's not what I meant at all. It's it's not when you're reflecting and you have a tone of non-judgment it's not an angry, no, you don't understand. Right. It's a, right. Oh, no, I see how I see how you interpreted it that way. This is what I actually meant. And it's yeah. a clarifying thing where it really is building the communication rather than uh, butting heads over a miscommunication. And I also loved how you described empathy being so often we fall into sympathy of, from your example, just being, oh, I'm so sorry you had to drive into work like that. I get to work from home. So. That was was too bad for you. I'm really sorry you had to do that. Um, But really connecting with your experience of, oh, my goodness, like that, that does sound really frightening. It sounds like that that maybe really impacted how you started your day. How did it start? You know, how did that affect you? Mm -hmm. Being able to to use those tools to really communicate. So thank you so much. Is there any if you were to, to leave our listeners with any one final takeaway what what would that be? Well, that's a good question. That's boy, that's the golden question. I would say I would refer back to uh, the uh, Serenity Prayer, which that, that if you've even people in addiction treatment use this because it's powerful. It helps people gain control over their behavior, and that is God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. That wisdom is I think is a key here that the people who succeed the best in their communication, number one, they're most self-aware. I think they, they're own, they're in tune with their own stuff. So they self-soothe, 
they they self-confront and they so they bring their better self into a conversation and then they build upon that by trying to help the other person succeed and not not put up tests and walls and say, hope that people can get through them obstacles and see if you can navigate that but to, to point you just said a second ago if i'm got kind of this attitude of of you know but no, you got it wrong. Try again. You know, I'm not really helping them succeed. Say that's you got some of that. Let me but let me help you understand where I'm really coming from. And so we're we're in a spirit of trying to help people succeed. And if we have that that attitude, an attitude of forgiveness and patience, you know, um, then we can overcome any kind of challenges. I really believe that in any kind of relationship. And some of the best, most rewarding ones are the ones that really were the hardest and that's the good news is that the most important ones and some of the hardest ones can become some of the most rewarding if we'll invest ourselves in that process i love that and making yourself vulnerable enough and have the courage enough to take that step into the the higher risk higher uh higher stakes conversations and communications yeah absolutely well, thank you so much, Darren Elkins. Thank you for being here from Blombocust Hail Solutions. I really appreciate your insights. I think everybody learned so much from this and just great messaging to take into the end of the year and to start our new year, hopefully, with building relationships and building our communication skills. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you, everyone, for joining us for Wellness Wednesday. And drive safe if you are in a snowy place like we are. Make sure you're driving carefully. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Jenny.